Let's pray. Father in heaven, holy, holy, holy are you. Uh, the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. We see that over and over in scripture. And in the end, when we get to be with you for eternity, we're going to be crying out, holy, 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 in your presence. Uh, and until then, we're here. Until then, we're here and we're grateful to you, Jesus. We're thank you, thankful for, for your life in us. And as Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So now we are here to live for you, to get to know you, to fall deeper in love with you, to, to see you in your word and just adore you and treasure you, and then to take that to the world around us. We thank you for the pleasure it is to know you, the joy it is to know you, and uh, we thank you for including us in your mission. We thank you that we are your plan to reach the world around us, and I pray that we would be effective, leaning on you, abiding in you, and that we would see the fruit of that in the world around us and in our own lives and in our own families. We love you. Uh, I pray this morning for the kids next door uh, that you would grow in each of those children a passion for you, that they would fall deeply in love with you and their lives would show it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning on this summer day. Um, you know, we, we know that summer comes, uh, the sun comes out, and we go to the lake, and, and so that's great. We know that's going to happen. Uh, I've been praying a lot about this series, because this series is one of those that I think is as impactful as any. Uh, you know, this morning, as I've been praying that God would use his word and, and John 15 in the lives of others, I went this morning, what, which I do every Sunday morning, I was at Starbucks going through my notes, uh, and while I was doing that, a couple came and sat down, one here and, and one here, uh, as close as they could be, it was kind of weird, um, but they sat down next to me, and, and we got talking a little bit after I finished going through my notes, and the guy asked, he said, you know, what are you reading there? I said, well, I'm reading John chapter 15. I said, well, what's that about? I'm like, well, <laughs> actually, it's the, the greatest, I think, chapter about what the gospel is in life that could be. And so I was forced quickly to sum it up for somebody like him. I said, well, you know, most people think spirituality is, is being good or religion is about being good. He said, yeah, that's, that's what I think. You know, he said, that's, you do all those things so that you can be better, so you can do good things. I said, yeah. I said, in fact, most people on the street, you go and you ask, you know, how does somebody get to heaven? What is eternal life? They say, do more good than bad. I said, the problem with that is the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And in John 15, we see that really life is about not doing for God, but just about enjoying God and, and resting in his love, and then he gets to live through us. And he's like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was a new thing, but his wife is sitting there going, that's what John's been telling us. I said, well, who's John? Oh, it's a friend from back, you know, he lives in DC or whatever. But I just got this picture, God is on the, the song we just sang, God is on the move. And so I, I share this with them and she says, that's exactly what so-and-so has been telling us. I said, well, if you want to hear more at 10 o'clock, we'll be, <laughs> um, and then I get up and, and I start walking out and this lady comes and grabs me and she said, we just moved to Carson City, or we're about to, we, we're about to go back to the Bay Area, you know, and I, I heard what you were saying, and we feel God has brought us to Carson City. I said, why? She said, I don't know yet, but God has brought, so, but just a couple things there of God is on the move, and John 15 is going to explain how this works, because we think often that spirituality, the Christian life is about doing, when reality, 
It's about being, it's about resting. And so we're gonna be in John 15. You can go ahead and, and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you somewhere, behind you, under you. Uh, we encourage you, take that home with you. We here at Common Ground, we rest everything we do on the Bible. So if you don't have one, take one. This last week, we uh, were blessed. We got to go to Lake Powell as a family and my extended family. And if you were here last week, you were blessed to hear Paul teach. And Paul really kind of nailed it in, in John 15 as we were looking at abiding. And, and here was the illustration looking at this, this plant. We looked at this two weeks ago. This is a tomato plant. But what's the whole goal of a plant like this, a tomato plant? It's to bear fruit. It's to bear fruit. And what we saw our first week in John 15, John 15, 5 is kind of our main passage, that our job is to abide. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so our big idea from our first week is our job is to abide. The goal is fruit. We know the goal is fruit. The goal is not just attending church on Sundays and being saved and having your fire insurance. The goal is actually that through you, God will produce good things in your life and in others. And so last week, Paul got into looking at what the fruit is. And I thought that was really helpful. I listened to it uh, after we got back. And Paul really did a good job of, he, he uh, did a quiz at the beginning of what is vegetable and what is fruit, and they were all fruit. Um, and I think he was wrong on some of them. But um, anyway, neither here nor there. But, but looking at, we can mistake fruit. And so it's helpful for us to look at what the fruit is. And we saw that the fruit is fruit of the Spirit from Galatians. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are, are in our lives. They're kind of internal. Uh, but that's fruit, the fruit of good works. Jesus said, my Father is, is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. And we see elsewhere in Scripture, that fruit is you doing good things. We see that the fruit is salvations, other people coming to know Jesus by faith. That's more fruit. But the problem is when we start looking at the fruit and focusing on that, we might want to start trying to create fruit. And I thought Paul did a really good job of saying, you know, it's good to, to recognize the fruit and look at it or recognize the lack of it. But the response isn't to be proud of the fruit or to go work harder. The response is to abide in the vine. And then he will produce fruit through us. Uh, the idea of the word abide, because we could title this whole series Abide. And I was thinking about that. Uh, abide has the idea of permanence. So I was thinking about this while we were out on our trip. I have a, a raft, uh, and we call it the Lodka because we bought it in I bought it in Russia 14 years ago. And it's this old, it looks like Soviet green raft, uh, but it, it's lasted for 14 years. I don't know if you've ever bought one of those rafts from Walmart that you take out once and you bump the air and it goes and it's done and you have to buy another one next week. Well, this, this Lodka has lasted 14 years. And the kids were even out there trying to use it. And now part of it's gone kind of flat. So they got stranded out in the lake because they couldn't maneuver it. And somebody had to go out and save them. But I got thinking, looking at this, this Lodka, this, this boat that lasts, we right now in the United States, the stuff that we buy doesn't really last. You know, it's, I don't remember the word for it, but it's planned obsolescence maybe. You know, they make these things so that they break, so that you have to buy another one. Whereas ideally, we buy things that, that last. And if you have gone camping with somebody in their 70s, they'll probably pull something out. You're like, what is that? They're like, this is a stove from back in 1935, and it still works. You know, or uh, my, my dad has a cot from World War II that his dad had that Brendan slept on when we did. They used to make things that lasted. 
Now it's all junk and it all falls apart. But it got me thinking, how can we have a spirituality that lasts? How can we have a faith that lasts, not a throwaway faith? Do you know what I mean? Not a faith that, that comes and goes with the wind uh, or that we're strong when things are good, but a faith that's going to last. And as we look through history, and I was thinking about this, as we look through history, we see men and women who had that kind of faith, the disciples, the early church fathers. Maybe you've heard of St. Augustine and, and people like that. And as you go through the reformers, Luther and Calvin, and on up to now and, and closer to the, those who were part of the, the great awakenings, you know, the great evangelists. How can we have a life like that? A faith that lasts to the end is strong where we're ambitious for the kingdom and there's fruit. Just read through church history and see what men and women did who laid out their lives for Christ. There was great fruit and you and I reap the benefits of it. Just the Reformation. Study the Reformation. We benefit from that. Uh, the, the Christians who actually first came to the United States, we are reaping the benefits of their faith as they pursued God ambitiously and came here. My goal this morning and in this series is that you and I learn how to have that kind of faith, a faith that lasts, a faith that persists, a faith that is fruitful. Because the sad thing is many Christians don't get to experience a fruitful life. And that's the, the, the way it is in North America typically, and we try and be positive, but the North American continent is the only continent where the church is not growing. And a big reason why is because I think we're, we're caught up and we're not abiding the way we should. We get confused, and so the fruit's not coming out. Um, John 15. I want to give you a couple definitions. Fruit. The goal is fruit. As we've gone through John 15, we look at John 15, 8. And he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Uh, we went through details of fruit last week, but I want to give you a, a real summed up concise definition. There's one in your notes, but I'm going to give you a different one. The one in your notes is good. Here's a different one. Fruit, the life of Jesus being lived out through us. That simple. Because what, what is fruit in a plant? An apple. Does an apple come from a pear tree? An apple comes from an apple tree. And so the fruit is the product of whatever's in the vine. So as a Christian, what is pressed out in your life should be Jesus's life. That's why we're called Christians. Christians was actually a name that was kind of given to us in Antioch, and it wasn't supposed to be a good thing. Oh, you're all like Christ. Oh, that's exactly what we're supposed to be, little Christ. And so fruit is the life of Jesus pressed out in your life. God is obsessed, we said the first week, with the fruitfulness of his people. Jesus is the, the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. He will prune us to bear more fruit. But that fruit is the life of Jesus lived out through us. Now, abiding, that's the other word we need to define. What is abiding? Because abiding can end up being um, going to church, doing my Bible study, praying, all good things, going to small group, all good things that you should do. But abiding can be, I'm doing all these things. Abiding is this a continual lifestyle of maintaining union and communion with Jesus. That's abiding. A continual lifestyle of maintaining union and communion with Jesus. This is living in fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. Here's a, a quote we've used before from Major Ian Thomas. It says this, 
The Christian life is not a matter of us being our best for him, but him living out his best in and through us. The Christian life is nothing less than Jesus living the life he lived then, lived out now, in and through us. So there's kind of a broad overview, abiding. Our life is to be about abiding, not about the do's and don'ts, not about legalism, but about resting in Jesus. We talked about it last week and the first week. Paul calls abiding walking in the spirit. Same exact thing. Paul says, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. The fruit of the spirit is a result of walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit and abiding are the exact same thing. But here's the question, how, right? If you've been a Christian very long, you've heard that. Hey, go walk in the spirit. Hey, abide. And if you're like me, you've gone, how? And then we can make a list of to-dos. But Jesus here is going to give us some of the how to abide. I want you to look with me. We're going to be in John 15, 9 through 17. But I want, I'm going to cheat. There's a theme running through these verses. I want to see if you can notice it. Look at verse 9. Verse 10, verse 12, 13, and 17. There's something repeated in each of those verses. I want, I want you to see it. Verse 9, verse 10, verse 12, verse 13, and verse 17. The theme is love. You see that word repeated over and over. Jesus keeps coming back to it. Love. And I want you to notice that because as we go through, we're going to go through these verse by verse, but as we go through, I want you to understand the context of love that overlays all of this abiding, this abiding life. So how does somebody abide? John 15, 5 is our theme verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So stop going and trying hard. Let's abide. How do we do that? Verse 9. You know, I'm going to read them all and then I'm going to go back to 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the father's name, this he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Lord Jesus, I just ask one more time that this morning, Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself to us, that we would fall deeper in love with you because of what we see here, and that this would be lived out, that your life would be lived out in and through us, and there would be much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So he starts in verse 7. Uh, is that where we're at? Yeah. No, sorry. Verse nine. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We're going to rest on verses nine and 10 and then kind of go a little bit quicker through the rest. But here's how he begins. He says, abide in my love. Do you notice through all this, the goal is fruit. Never 
does he command you to go bear fruit? He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, but he never says, you go bear fruit. He says, you abide. And here he starts to say how? He says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. This is the first command we really see here. Abide in my love. And then he goes on to talk about obedience, but we need to camp right here for just a minute. He says, abide in my love. We've talked about this before, about uh, sanctification, justification, glorification. There's the three you know, theological terms for where we are in life. And here he's really talking about justification, which is the idea that you are accepted by the Father because of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Through your sin, you are separated from God. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and now he paid for your sins and his righteousness is now yours and mine if by faith we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. God the Father looks at you and he says, I see Jesus. I don't see your sin. I see Jesus' perfection and I love you. We're gonna see as we go on that God chose you and me from before the creation of the world. And I want to point this out. We're going to get into it. But he didn't choose you because you're good. He didn't look at you and go, you know what? They're going to be a good person. I'm going to choose them. He chose you of no merit of your own. And he chose to love you. Jesus came and he died for you because he loved you. So this is what he's talking about. He says, abide in my love. He's talking about something that can't be lost. Jesus' love is perfect. And so the idea is staying, holding tight, abiding is holding tight, hold tight to his love. You can't lose it. When we often get mixed up in the Christian life and we think that, that God looks at us differently when we're being good versus being bad, and so then our, our, our spirituality does this, right? Our faith does this. Oh, I'm being good, God loves me. Oh, I'm being bad, I don't wanna go to church. Rather, he says, abide in my love. It's consistent, it can't change. You didn't earn it, so you can't lose it. Uh, a few years ago, at least, I remember we were driving in the car and Parents, you know this, you, you try and get your kids to obey and do good things and not do bad things. And, and ideally, as they grow, you teach them that it's about abiding in Jesus and, and letting him live through you. But we were talking this with Elise, and, and Elise said, yeah, I'm going to be good so that you love me more. And I went, <laughs> you know, what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good. I'll try and be good so that you can love me more. Isn't that heartbreaking as a parent? My kids can't do anything to make me love them more or less. My love is consistent with my kids, and I'm, I'm a fallen man. <laughs> I'm a man that is, is far from perfect. God is perfect. And so my kids can't lose my love. You can't lose the Father's love. And so rest in his love is what he's saying. Abide, stay in my love. This is the command. Now, what did we say? We said that fruit is the life of Jesus lived out in and through us. That the Christian life is the life he lived then, lived out now through you and I. So who are we supposed to be like? Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, abide in my love as I abide in my Father's love. So where's our example? Jesus. What does this look like to abide in God's love? Let's look at how Jesus did it in his life. Right here in John 15, Jesus is going with his disciples to the Mount of Olives. That is where he's going to pray his last prayer, and then he's going to go die. In Luke, in Luke, he shares this, uh, the same story. It says, they went to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. As was his custom. This is Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. Other, other translations say, as usual, they went to the Mount of Olives. 
meaning Jesus often went to the Mount of Olives to pray. This was not a one-time thing. Jesus regularly went to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples knew this. All four Gospels share about Jesus' personal relationship with the Father, him pursuing the Father. That's Luke twenty two thirty nine. says he did this as usual. Matthew 14, 23. I want to read this one. Matthew 14, 23 says this. This is after Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000, then he walks on water. Verse 23 says, uh, this is before he walks on water. He says, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. In church, often we're about the crowds, aren't we? <laughs> Jesus regularly sent the crowds away. And they would try and find him, and he'd be hiding somewhere, praying. In the evening, it said, in the evening, he was there praying. Luke 6, 12. Luke 6, 12. This is right before Jesus appoints his 12 apostles, 12 disciples. Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, and it says this. He stayed there all night in prayer. Jesus stayed all night in prayer. When's the last time you and I did that? All night in prayer. Jesus, as a man, as a God-man, lived in complete dependence on the Father, pursuing intimate relationship with him. If Jesus needed that, don't you think we need that too? Jesus showed us how to live dependent on the Father. He spent all night in prayer. Mark 1.35 says, Jesus got up early while it was still dark, and he snuck away to pray. The night before this, this is Mark 1.35, the night before this, he had been teaching late. He had been late with people. Early in the morning, he gets up while all the disciples are still snoozing because they've been up late. He sneaks out while it's still dark to be alone with the Father. So we see him do it at night. We see him do it early in the morning. We see him do it all night. Jesus was often in prayer. If Jesus needed intimacy with the Father, don't we? So what does it mean, abide in my love? It means remain in his love, pursue intimacy. Now, here's what kept coming to my mind as I was doing this. Some of you men kept coming to my mind. Because you men are like me. Women, they're good at that whole relational thing. Um, we're not so much. <laughs> and so why is it that within the church, often women are the ones doing most of the work? Women are the ones that really connect. And men are kind of like, eh, don't need it. We're, we're not as relational. But we need to be. It's a cop-out. I'm a man. I don't need that stuff. You know what? Jesus did. Jesus was the manliest man ever. And he went to God in tears often. He bowed the knee to be intimate with the Father. Men, it's manly to be emotional. It's manly to rely on Jesus, to depend on Jesus. It's manly. Side note. But Jesus would stop doing to go simply be. Jesus lived out his life out of the overflow of intimacy with the Father. Abide by pursuing intimacy with Jesus and remain in his love. Don't work hard to love him, rest in his love. So here's, here's the picture I wanted to give us that I thought would help. Because if you're anything like me, we get wrapped up in our to-dos. Maybe some of us work 10 hours a day, six days a week. I've heard that. Um, and sometimes we need to do that, and that's okay. But here's life. So softball. Callie and I are on a softball team Thursday nights. Um, we keep getting hurt because we're old. But you, it's part of life, right? Hobbies is the idea. Hobbies. There's things that we like to do. So we have our hobbies in life. We have our vehicles, and they break down. 
and we need new ones, and they take gas. And so there's things that, that we live life, and we have to think about our vehicle. We get it every day. Um, here's, here's our spouse, right? It takes, it takes effort. Marriage takes effort, right? We, we study, we, we put effort into our relationships with our spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it might be, kids, adults, that all kind of fits into this. So here's life. Life is busy. Here's my point. Life is busy, and that's okay. I, if we try, and, and I've tried to do this, if we try and fight the busyness of life, we're going to fail. It's just our culture now. And so rather than just fighting it and being mad at it, let's learn how to deal with it. Um, yes, I fight and I'm mad at it, but... Okay, here's the other thing. Here's my life. We've got horses. Oh. You got to get hay. You got to clean up the, you know. Animals. Here's it. Some of you have animals. They, they take time. You know, they get sick. You want to, anyway. Um, animals. But then, you know what? We know Jesus, so we're going to fit in some Bible study. We're going to spend some time with Jesus. This is part of our life, our Bible study, our, our devotional time. Now, with all this to do, is that abiding? It's part of it. Is that abiding in his love? All alone, no, it's not. It's very, very important, but that alone is not abiding. You can ask somebody, how are you doing in your Christian walk? Are you abiding? Well, I've been reading my Bible a lot. That's often the answer we get. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. I want us to get this. Um, so life goes on, and then we've got work. You know, all of us have work, or if we're retired, our wives create work, or whatever it is. Um, there's still stuff to do. So here's the idea of work. We have things that we got to do. We got to do it. Um, but then here's, here's the other thing we're going to fit in there. We got our Bible study. We've got our prayer time. We got our prayer time. And as Christians, we love Jesus. We want to spend time in prayer. Is prayer, I want us to see that one. Is that abiding? It's part of it. Absolutely. Is it the whole of it? No. Life keeps going. We have kids. Um, our kids take a lot of effort. Who does this look like? Oh my goodness. Sawyer, it's wearing the same thing as you. That's great. So this is you. It's you. <laughs> so we have our kids. Our kids take time. Our kids play baseball and soccer and ballet and whatever. All these things that we have to do. I'm belaboring the point, but get it. Now, here, what, what else do we fit in? If we're good Christians, we'll fit in our outpost group, our small group. This is somebody's house. And we go to group, we build relationship with one another, we try and serve together. Is that abiding? It's part of it. It's part of it, but it's not abiding. Not by itself. And here's a church. We go to church. Should we go to church? We should go to church. We should be part of a fellowship where we, we pursue God together. Our goal as we get together here is not that we do for God. Our goal here, I'll tell you this, is that the Holy Spirit shows up and somebody walks in, they experience Jesus. The goal is not that they experience you or me. The goal is that they experience Jesus and that this is an environment where the Holy Spirit is welcome and he grabs hearts and changes. So church is good. Is all of this abiding? Can be. Here's the idea. Jesus says, abide in my love, always. What did we say abiding is? A continual lifestyle of resting. So here's his love. His love rests over all of it. And so in all of it, we turn to his love. It's something we can't lose. It's always there. His love is perfect. We can choose to rest on it, to lean on it, or we can choose to be self-centered, or we can choose to go our own. But while we're doing all of it, while I'm out playing softball, I can be resting in his love. 
So when we're down 38 to zero, you know, and whatever, um, and I keep popping, you know what? We don't have to get wrapped up in that. It's fun. It's, you know, relationship time. You know, when we come to church, guess what? It's not duty. And if your family is like mine, it's Sunday mornings before you go to church that the enemy wants to get some things going on in there, right? You know what? You get to come to church. You get to set that aside and still rest in his love. And so Bible study, prayer, church, groups, all of that is great. And it's important to put those on our schedule. But the overlay over all of it is resting in his love. Jesus says, abide in my love. You get this all the time. I want you to understand this. It's not one of the things on your calendar. It's not early in the morning when you do your devotions or at noon when you have your watch go off, beep, 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 time to pray. That's all good, but it's over all of it. Paul said, pray without ceasing. As in, you, you, morning, you lift up the phone, you start talking to God, and you never say goodbye. You never hang it up. And so as life is going on, you're constantly in connection, talking with him. Abide in my love. So here's the question. Here's the application here. Am I growing in my love relationship with the Father personally and daily? Are you growing in your love relationship with the Father personally and daily? Does that take some effort? Yes. Yes, but it's not effort to do. It's effort to be, to just rely on Jesus. It's constantly reminding yourself. So let's, let's move on because now he's going to talk about obedience. We don't like this one. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, he says, just as I kept my father's commandments. How did Jesus keep the father's commandments? Perfectly. Perfectly. Jesus never sinned. At the end of Jesus' life, he said, I've done all you've sent for me to do. And then on the cross, he said, it is finished. Are we able to do that? Are you able to say, I've done all that you've sent me to do? You know what? As we grow in him and pursue him, ideally he will show in us the unique mission he has for us in this life. And then we can say we've done it, but are we going to do it perfectly? No. We're still in these bodies. We still have sin in our flesh. We can't do it perfectly. But a fruitful life is a life of obedience. So now that we talk about obedience, we're talking about obedience under the veil of his love, okay? We, we have to keep this in order. Obedience is under the veil of his love over everything, but a fruitful life is one of obedience. We often see in the church this idea of, I want Jesus, I want heaven, but I don't really want that obedience thing. I really don't want to do what he wants me to do. I still want to do my own thing. And any time in life we choose ourselves over him, we know that we're not abiding. We know that we're not abiding because we think whatever we want to do is more important um, or we think we know better than God. You ever done that? That's not the abiding life. The abiding life is one of obedience. And he says this over and over uh, in John 14 and 15. Jesus repeated this statement over and over. He said it in John 14, 15, 14, 21, 14, 23, 15, 10. And again, 15, 14, which we're going to see in a minute. Over and over, he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. So listen to this. Obeying falls under the veil of his love for us. We don't obey to earn anything, but obedience is part of abiding. Obedience is part of abiding. And we don't like this one. And this one scares us because this can come, become legalism, right? 
But what's legalism? Legalism is doing to earn. That's legalism. Doing to make God love you more, doing to make yourself better for God, that's legalism. Legalism is not, I'm going to be consistent in the word. I'm going to make a goal to be consistent in the word. That's not legalism. That's love. When, when uh, Callie, a couple years ago, has her birthday, and I don't do anything for her, and at the end of the day, she goes, you know, I wish you would have done something for my birthday. I'm like, oh, we're doing that now? Um, you've never wanted something for your birthday for the last 10 years. Well, I'm not so good at those things. <laughs> I'm not. So the next year, what did I do? The next year, I made an effort to love her on her birthday. It doesn't come natural to me, but I put an effort because I love her, you know, get the kids, you know, let's do the breakfast and bed thing and let's do this and I'll do the dishes and, and try to make a deal about her birthday because that communicated to her love. Is that natural to me? It's not natural to me. Did I put effort into it? Yes, but it was an effort of love. It was an effort of love. And so our, our effort of obedience is not an effort to earn anything with God. Our effort to obey is an effort of love. Does that make sense? And we're going to see some more of that in just a minute. But a fruitful life is a life of obedience. There is a direct relationship between my love for God and my obedience to God. Where there is love for God, obedience overflows. Because remember, the abiding life is Jesus' life in and through us. And obedience is kind of what overflows. Because we depend on him and we trust him. Again, obedience does not prove our love to God, but what does obedience do? Look back at 1431 with me. In 1431, Jesus says, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Just like Jesus' love for God didn't prove his love, you know, his obedience didn't prove his love for God, his obedience proved his love to the world. Our obedience to the Father doesn't prove our love to him, but it proves it to those around us. And what did Jesus say before? He said, uh, you know, the greatest commandment is love, but he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love is proof to others. Now, we're gonna go into this obeying a little bit, but Jesus says, I obeyed what my father told me to do. He's talking about everything. It's referring to everything. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, meaning all the things he's commanded. But there's one command in particular that rests above the rest. Maybe you know what it is. It's been in John 14 and 15. It's throughout the entire Bible. The command that you love one another. Verse 11. Before we get into that exact command, I want to look at verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Uh, right there, halfway through verse 11, says that my joy. Some translations say so that. Whenever you see a so that, that's a key. What has he been saying before? He says this so that something. What is Jesus's goal? What is God's goal in your abiding with him? Joy. That your joy will be complete. The life of a Jesus follower is not one of duty and religion and begrudgery. It's a life of joy. Obedience should be a joy because we love him. And that's his goal, that your joy would be complete. Not happiness. There's a difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness comes and goes. But joy can be consistent throughout, and that's his goal. As you abide, his joy will fill you up. And you can, you can be consistent through it all 
joyfully loving him. Before we look more at this obeying, I want to make this point. If you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. If you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. Jesus says, do not forsake the gathering together. If you do not want, you know, now here we have people, we're, we're coming to church, we're getting together. But, but if you're, you have times where, you know, I just don't want to get together with other believers, that's an obedience problem. That's a love problem. It's a love for God problem. Every problem we have is a head issue, right? Jesus is the head of the church. Any sin thing you have in your life is really an issue this way. So an obedience problem is proof of a love problem. Now look at verse 12. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You abided my love by obeying me. And here's the commandment, love one another. I wish we could highlight that with a Sharpie. Love one another. This is the commandment above all else. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your Christian life cannot be carried out in isolation. Your true spirituality, love for God, cannot be carried out outside of a relationship with others. You know, I used to think it would be awesome to be a mountain man. Just escape to Alaska and just build a hut out there and just live forever alone. Um, and then I met Callie and I knew that could never happen. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the two of us could escape. No, um, but the idea of that as a Christian is impossible. I cannot live my life for God outside of a relationship with you and with others. I, it can't happen. It can't happen. This is his command. So here's, we're going to fill in the, the, the notes. There's four fill-ins, but here's the first one. Abide by obeying. Abide by obeying. The command is love. Abide by obeying the command as love. Jesus is making it fairly simple for us. Rest in my love and obey me by loving others. Love one another. Here's the greatest command. Love. And it's not a feeling, okay? If you're resting on a feeling, that's not going to work. Or you think, I don't feel like loving God, so I must not. You know what? Love is not a feeling. What is love? Love is doing what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. Now, when we apply this to God, he always deserves it. He always deserves it. But loving others, they rarely deserve it, right? Love is doing what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. That's love. And we can love this way because we don't need anything from them because we're resting in Jesus's love and we're getting all we need from him. So you can wrong me. You can slander me. You can be mean to my kids. I'll slash your tires for that one. But the other ones, <laughs> you can do those things to me. And guess what? I'm free to love you because I don't need anything from you because I get it all from Jesus. Now, that's the ideal perfect world. I don't abide perfectly. <laughs> and so I do get wounded. And, you know, that's, I don't live that out perfectly yet. Nobody has and nobody will. But that's the idea that we pursue intimacy with the Father. We're filled up and now we're free to love others of the overflow. And I don't need anything back. Here's the big marriage problem. In marriage, I'm not gonna do this because they're not doing this for me. Marriage problem all the time. When they do this for me, then I'll do this for them. It's this give and take. No, 
No, that's never the way it's supposed to be. You get all you need from Jesus, and then you serve the other completely, not needing anything in return. And then they're filled up with Jesus, and they serve you fully, not needing anything. How beautiful is that? What if, what if the whole church was doing that? In our families, with each other, and then, out, oh my goodness, how would that change the world around us? If we abided in his love and we obeyed by loving one another. So here's the question for that one as we, before we really move on. Are you in relationships with other people? Are you in relationships? So we're saying, how do we abide? Are you pursuing intimacy with Jesus daily? That's the first part. How do we abide? Are you involved in relationships with others? Are you? I would say our main obedience here is just get involved with others. Just get involved with others. And as you abide in his love, he'll live through you and he'll show you what to do about it. He'll show you the things that need to happen and then he'll do it through you. But you just need to get involved. That's why we talk about groups so much. And that's why this summer, it's kind of a booger over the summer because we don't do groups. You know, we need a break. Leaders need a break and it's good to have a break, but we lack that connection. They'll kick off again when school starts, you know, in the fall. But we need to be in those relationships of loving one another. Now, how do we love? How do we love? He says, love one another. How do we do it? Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. Again, our life is the life Jesus lived then, pressed out now in and through us. How did Jesus live this out? He went to the cross for you and I. And before he went to the cross and died for you and I, he lived for you and I. Did, did he live for wealth? No, he, he was poor. He was humiliated. He not only died for us, he lived for us. Maybe you know Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Here's Paul talking about our life. Our life is Jesus's life. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So the standard, the command is obey, or you know, we, we abide by obeying, the command is love. The standard is Jesus himself. That's the standard. How do we love others? Like Christ loved the church. That's how, with everything, <laughs> with everything we are, no holds bar, no holding back. That's how we love. Does this sound impossible? I have good news, it is. <laughs> That's why you need to go back and listen to what we talked about three weeks ago, the Holy Spirit. Because he in John 14, and he's gonna talk about it later in John 16, here's how you can carry this out. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Paul calls it walking in the spirit. Jesus calls it abiding. Jesus dwells in you in the form of the Holy Spirit who can empower you to do this. You can't do it on your own. But abiding is resting in his love and letting him live through you as you walk in the spirit. You can't do it on your own. He never asked you to. He never expected you to. He's available to you. Death to self. Death to self. Now, what's the motivation we abide by obeying. The command is love. The standard is Christ. But what is our motivation? Look back with me at verse 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. 
no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. What does this mean? Why does a servant obey a master? Because they have to. How much does a servant obey the master? Well, if they're a good servant, they go above and beyond. But typically, as much as is necessary. Any of you ever been an employer? How do most employees work? Only what's necessary. Only what's necessary. That's what a servant does. Only what's necessary and out of duty. How does a friend do for another friend? They do out of love. They do out of care for the other person. And they'll go above and beyond to help that person. That's what a friend does. Jesus says, you're my friend if you obey me. I call you my friends. And so our obedience of love is not out of duty. It's a joy. It's a joy out of the overflow of our friendship with him. So if you're obeying, if you're doing is a duty to you and it's not a joy, you need to go back and you need to focus on your love for Jesus because our motivation is our love for Jesus. That's our motivation, which stems from his love for us. That's our motivation. He loved us first. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. And here's what I think is a lot of fun. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. We have a unique understanding of the timeline. We know what's going on, don't we? We, we have the word, we have the spirit. We know about sin. The world doesn't know about sin. They know it experientially, but they don't understand that sin causes death. We know that. We know that God loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. We know the solution to it. Most don't know that. We know what he's up to. Guess what he's up to? He's up, he wants to perfect you and me. He's, he is up to this in your life, sanctifying you and me through his word to make us more like him. That's what he's up to. What else is he up to? He's coming back. The world doesn't know that. You and I know that. He's coming back. I was reading this just this morning at the end of Revelation. He, and it just goes through the very last verse. The last verses says, come, Jesus, come. We live in anticipation of him coming back. We know he's coming. And we know that when he comes, we're going to spend eternity with him. And it's going to be perfect. It's going to be awesome. We know this because we're his friends. He's made it known to us. This is why we can carry out this life of loving obedience because we know what he's up to. We don't know maybe all the details of what's going to happen, but we know what he's up to. It's awesome. Now look at these last verses because they are difficult sometimes. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He says in this verse, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And we've seen this throughout John, and we see it throughout the Gospels, this idea of God choosing us rather than us choosing him. Now, here's where the difficulty comes, because some will say, I chose God, and that's true. And some will say, no, you don't have the freedom of choice. God chose you, and he violates your will to save you. That's, that's a, a theology that goes around out there. He violates your will to save you. You have nothing to do with it. Well, it's true that he chose you and I from the beginning of time. But did you choose him? Absolutely. And are we responsible for that choice? Absolutely. Here's, here's the way I like to think of this. You chose him, but he chose you first. God made the first move. 
God chose you from the beginning of time. And the point in this passage, why is he saying that here? He says, I chose you. And he chose you not because you were good, not because of any merit of your own. He chose you because he chose you. He chose you because he wanted to love you. And he chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, which means this is not a choice. You and I don't get to go, you know what? I'm going to choose God, but now I'm going to do whatever I want. He goes, no, I chose you, and I brought you into this because I got something for you to do. Go bear fruit. And you bear fruit by abiding in me, and I'll bear the fruit through you. But the goal is fruit. You have a purpose. He didn't save you just to save you so that you can have fire insurance and someday go to heaven. He saved you so that you could bear fruit. Do you get that? We're branches. We're fruit hangers. That's why we're still here. That's why he doesn't save you and then just rapture you and take you to heaven. Because he has fruit for you to bear. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He has things he wants you and I to do. It's exciting. He has fruit that he wants to produce through you and I. That's our purpose. Our purpose is not to be good churchgoers. Did you know that? Our purpose is not just to be good. Our purpose is to bear fruit. And we want that, but we can only bear fruit as we abide in him and he bears the fruit through us. And then in verse 17, oh yeah, and love one another. If you haven't heard it yet, here's my command, love one another. So how do we, how do we apply this? How do we apply this? Abiding, it's all about abiding. It's all about resting in his love. It's not about doing. If you walk out of here thinking, I need to go work harder, you missed it. You missed it completely. If you go out of here thinking, I'm loved by Jesus no matter what, and I can just rest in that, then you got it. Then you got it. So here's, here's the two real applications. Are you pursuing an intimate relationship with Jesus and the Father on a daily basis? Are you pursuing him and then letting him live through you? And then here's the second. Are you involved in the lives of others? Are you involved in the lives of others? Because as you pursue him, as you pursue him and you fall deeply in love with him, you sink deeply. We talked about abiding, being sink deeply in Jesus. Then you get involved in others' lives. Guess what? He's just going to live through you. And then you obey by doing whatever it is he shows you to do. But it's him through us. We're not earning anything. And so we can rest in his love. You know, I, I want to have this picture as we go through life, day in and day out. Sometimes we get off track, sometimes we forget, but let's rest in his love and let him live through us. How would this change everything? Listen, how would this change everything? You wouldn't live in guilt because you'd be simply resting in him, pursuing him. You wouldn't have all this to-do list of, of trying to earn. You'd just simply obey because he loves you. Let's close in worship. Father in heaven, um, we love you. <laughs> we love you because you first loved us. Thank you that it's not about what we do. Thank you that it's about abiding. And the way, the way this applies most is when we're going through life and things happen or, or we see a lack of obedience, a lack of fruit, we don't need to focus on obeying or focus on, on trying to create fruit. We need to simply come to you. We need to simply seek intimacy with you. And that's what's so beautiful. And it's, it goes contrary to our type A personalities, get it done. That when we're lacking the fruit, when we're lacking the... The, uh, the obedience, we need to stop. Father, as you said in the Old Testament, be still and know that I am God. And we are free to rest in you. We're free to go on a walk and turn on music and, and listen to some worship that just binds us closely to you. The greatest thing, Jesus says, eternal life is that we know you. 
Not, not that we do anything for you and we can rest in just knowing you and enjoying you. Thank you that you are so enjoyable. <laughs> Thank you that you are so beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. Um, and we've started doing this more frequently because we, we believe that Sunday, this time of us getting together is a unique time where the Holy Spirit shows up corporately among us. This is a time where the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. This is a time where I hope, I pray every week, I pray that we get to know Jesus and we adore him more and we love him more and that he is honored and glorified by our praise to him because we are created to bring glory to God and we get to do that together. And so we're doing the Lord's Supper more and more often. We're doing it every other week now so that we can take a minute and just remember what Jesus did. Because that time on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, that is the central point of all creation. Past, you know, before looking forward, that was the central point. Now, here looking back, remembering what Jesus did. In a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at Jesus dying on the cross. We're going to look at his high priestly prayer. And we're going to see that it all pointed to the glory of God. Jesus on the cross brought glory to the Father. And so we look back because that's where our life comes from. But Jesus also said this when, when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He said, do this in remembrance of me until I come. And so it's also looking forward in hope. Hope is the confident assurance of what's going to happen. Not like, I hope, I hope. But Jesus is coming back. And so we do this to remember what he did looking forward. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, we take it with a spirit of thanksgiving a spirit of dependence on him, a spirit of humility. This is a time for us to confess sin to him, maybe to somebody else if needed. This is a time for us to just take a minute, be still and know that I am God. We're doing this today at the end. We're doing so much worship at the end because we're talking about abiding is just sinking deeply into him. And so now let's do that. For the next 20 minutes, let's sink deeply in Jesus. This isn't about doing. This is about enjoying him and his love for you. He loved you so much, he died on the cross. He loved you so much, he gave his body and his blood for you. And we have salvation on that alone. Wow. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. We have that peace now because of what he did on the cross. So we're going we're gonna to pray. And then we're going to do as we've been doing. Take the Lord's Supper. Come down the middle aisles here. Uh, take the cup and the bread. Take it right there. Take it to the side. Take it to your seat. Do whatever you want. They're, they're going to be playing some music. But this is a time for you individually while we're doing it corporately. You can pray with somebody else if you want. You can pray alone. But take a couple minutes and just rest and then thankfully take the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for it. Lord Jesus, we remember your body and your blood right now. We are going to partake of the bread and the wine, remembering that you died for us. You shed your blood for us, and the life is in the blood. We have life because of you. When you died on the cross, Jesus, you said, it is finished. The, came, the, the work that you came to do was finished on the cross. And we now have life because of you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. All praise and glory be to you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts right now. 
I pray that all glory would go to you, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, as we right now confess our sin, as we now, right now release ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.